This will be repeat for the four of you who were here for the announcements. <laughs> but the, uh, uh, the bulletin is slightly off. The guy who put the bulletin together uh, forgot to put the change of the series, which is the theology of the hymns, and the title of the sermon, which is Great is Thy Faithfulness. So just, uh, I did Israel Matters last week. Uh, the series on theology of the hymns has been supplemented by several Christian hymns during the Holy Days, which just ended. And I'm going to continue that series during the season of the cross uh, as we go from Lent to Holy Week. But as I was reflecting on the biblical readings for today, I noticed that the song of Moses, sung by Israel with the dancing and response by Miriam and the ladies, uh, was uh, part of this week's reading, Exodus 15. And the song of Deborah and Barak, uh, Judges chapter 5, was also part of it. And since I missed the Sunday that I was going to do Great is Thy Faithfulness, I thought, I'm going to do that one this time. And so that's why I did that and that's why I messed up the bulletin. Now the texts in the bulletin are correct, so we will be looking at all of those. So the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, is one of my favorites. Um, it is, uh, in some sense, for me, uh, the, a Christian version of the Mourner's Kaddish. Uh, it is one that has been part of many uh, funerals uh, of important people in my life, uh, family and, and congregation. Uh, one that we used at Braden's funeral. Um, one that I suspect would be appropriate for my funeral, though I'm not planning that at this, at this point. Um, and this hymn, like so many others, began as a poem that was written in 1923. It's not as old as you might think, less than 100 years, by Thomas O. Chisholm. Thomas became a Christian in 1893 at the age of 27. Ultimately, he was ordained as a Methodist minister, but because of health problems, he had to leave the pastorate, and he did what many uh, in the uh, mid-1900s and early 1900s did when they were uh, pastors out of the pastorate. He sold insurance. It's life insurance of one type or another, right? Uh, they either sold Bibles or, or insurance. The number of pastors who sold insurance and Bibles in the 50s and 60s is unbelievable. It's a story all its own. He loved writing and he wrote 1,200 poems. 800 of those were published. And many of those became hymns, including He Was Wounded for Our Transgressions, Ode to Be Like Thee, and one that I'm very familiar with, Living for Jesus including this one, Great is Thy Faithfulness. He sent that to a, an associate that he knew, uh, William Runyon, who was an affiliate of Moody Bible Institute, who then wrote the music to it, and it was immediately published, or at least that year, and by the middle of the 1900s, it had become one of the most beloved hymns among Christians. The writer of this hymn uh, died at, in 1960, at the age of 94. Now for me that seems recent. But for our kids you know, that's ancient history. Um, the hymn is based on Lamentations chapter 3 verses 22 and 23. That book written by Jeremiah after the destruction of Israel. Is a book of mourning and repentance. And in the midst of suffering and affliction. The words of this chorus are found. So I'd like you to turn with me to Lamentations chapter 3, verses 15 to 25. We have, uh, we have been familiar with, these, with this passage in recent weeks uh, within the congregation quite a bit because these are the words that are used in the, uh, the ritual uh, of the loss of a child. And, and was used in uh, the, uh, the funeral for Honora and Caleb. So 
uh, it is particularly words that, that are on my heart in this context. In uh, Lamentations 3, verse 15, the writer says, He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say my strength has perished. And so has my hope from the Lord. Now we have all been there. We have all had life be so overwhelming. And the difficulty so strong that we almost can't maintain our trust and hope in God. And many of us express that. And I don't believe that that is necessarily a sin. Uh, a lot of people are so afraid of saying that. It's not as if God doesn't know the attitude of our hearts. And I think sometimes it's in the expression that the self-talk begins. And so the writer continues and says, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. Then this I recall to mind. Therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the person who seeks him. What a great passage. Uh, and probably the most positive verses in all of Lamentations. In the midst of all that stuff, there is the heart of what the mourner's cottage really is about. And so, uh, he reads this, he wrote this poem in the context of this passage because of his own life suffering and struggle. And certainly the health issues that removed him from the pastorate had to be part of that. So, I'm going to ask you to take your uh, uh, hymnals as well, if you have them. Uh, turn them to 139 and uh, keep in mind the, the, the verses that we have. Um, I'm going to do less talking about the first one, zero and more on the second and third. Uh, not because I couldn't, but I'm trying to save a little time in that context. So in our hymnals, it's hymn 139. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. This passage, uh, or verse as written, uh, certainly has uh, behind it the book of James, chapter 1, verse 17. I don't know if uh, about you, but in my case, uh, I am so familiar with both the scriptures and these hymns that when I sing the hymns, they are shortcuts with the biblical passages uh, firing in my mind and in in my brain, and I'm grateful for that because it makes the hymns fuller. In verse uh, chapter 1, verse 17, Scripture says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift from above comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variable variation or shifting shadow. Uh, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. The Lord forever, from everlasting to everlasting, He is God. He is really unchanging. And that knowledge of God being unchanging is uh, mentioned throughout the Psalms, particularly Psalm 102. And I would like you to turn to Psalm 102 with me quickly. And we'll look at verses 25 to 27. Again, I could, we could probably do a whole Bible study on each of these 
because this is such rich theology inside these hymns. Uh, Psalm 102 verse 25 says, Of old you have founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hand. Even they will perish, but you endure. And all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same. Your years will not come to an end. God never changes. The children of your servants will continue. And their descendants will be established before you. You almost can hear, because he lives, we live, right? I mean, this notion of God's immutability, his unchangingness. He is not a man that he should repent, or the son of man that he should change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The scripture says that also of the Lord Jesus. So, this passage then leads into the chorus, Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see from the book of Lamentations. I'll talk about the last part of that chorus at the end here. Verse 2 of Great is Thy Faithfulness. When uh, we sang this at the Westminster Church, and we sang it just about every third week, uh, we had a pianist and organist that were phenomenal. And uh, I could then adjust this song's tempo and what we were doing any way I wanted. And, uh, and we sang this a lot. A lot of us cried our way through it, but uh, we sang it nonetheless. And I would say, uh, and now the testimony of creation, and then we'd sing the second verse. Summer and winter... And springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. This second verse is the testimony of creation in speaking of God's faithfulness. And it begins, interestingly, with the statement about Springtime, harvest, summer, and winter. And you cannot, if you know the scriptures, sing that without thinking of Genesis chapter 8. Now a few uh, months ago, I think, I think it was months ago, I'm, time passed just blurs all together. Um, we looked at the covenants of God. And the first of the covenants of God is the covenant God made with Noah with the creation. And that's what this is talking about. Uh, chapter 8, verse 22. God says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Later God will say, If those things can change, then my covenants will change. But God doesn't change, and the testimony of God's consistency is the consistency in this present world of sun, uh, moon, and stars, and winter, and summer, and harvest, and all of those things. To everything there is a season, and a time for every purpose under heaven, as the scripture says. Now, the second part of this verse says, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. That, you have to just turn back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 to 19. God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons. And for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens. To give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights. The greater light to govern the day. And the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. He placed them in the expanse of the heavens. To give light on the earth. And to govern the day and the night. And to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good.
There was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. When I was growing up, whenever I went to my grandparents' house, they lived up above Auburn on a property that I thought was the Ponderosa. <laughs> it was so much like it. My grandfather had three sons and they were, I had my big Uncle Wayne who was like Haas. And I had my Uncle Dean who was very good looking. And then I had my Uncle Ron who's almost my age, just a year and a half or so older than me. And he, he certainly fit the, uh, the character. And so it was just like going and, and living on Bonanza. At night, because it was away from the city, and it was in a, 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 a meadow area, meadow vista, you, you could look up and see the stars and the, and the moon. And, I mean, it was like you could reach out and touch them. I haven't experienced that much uh, down here because we live mostly on the coast. And, you know, the fog comes in, the clouds come in, the smog comes in, and, you know... You just don't see much. But as we've been out in uh, Riverside, in the area that we have been, um, I am again and again seeing this incredible sunsets, the moon, the stars, and all of that uh, placed in their courses by God and consistent in those courses day after day, year after year. But they'll change God's Faithfulness will not, but they testify to that faithfulness. The whole creation speaks of this. Psalm 19. Uh, One of those psalms worth memorizing. Most of them are worth memorizing, but some of them are just phenomenal. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. But there's no speech, nor are there words. They're not chatting at us. Their presence is communicating to us. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout the earth and their utterance in their presence, really, to the end of the world. In them, he has placed a tent for the sun, which is a bridegroom coming out of its chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run its course. It rises from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat which I've also experienced out there in Riverside. (laughs) You can't hide from that. The creation to one who does not know the Creator says nothing. But to those of us who know the Creator, we see His handiwork in all the things, particularly the seasons and the suns and the sun and moon and stars. Great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see. Then we have the third verse, and look how quick I'm going. This verse is my favorite. And when we sang it, I would always say, Let us count the benefits. Let us count the blessings. I can imagine this pastor writing this after years of struggling with the word and circumstances and realizing that you have to count your blessings. You have to name them one by one so that it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. 
blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Incredible words. Well, let's take a look at that. Pardon for sin. Now, it'd be very easy for replacement thinkers and Christians to just run right to the epistles and start talking about this. But I want to uh, go to the prophets. I want you to turn to Micah chapter 7. had it there. Micah chapter 7, beginning at verse 18. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. And you will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love to Abraham which you swore to our forefathers. From the days of old. God has always been a God who pardons sin. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not regard iniquity. Incredible knowledge of this God. I grew up with a father that was, it seemed to me, always looking for what I did wrong. And so when I transferred that to my faith in God... That was my view. I honestly believed that God was good and God was righteous and God was just and God was a little merciful. And that I would give my life to Him as much as I could. I would share His word with other people. But when the end was done, He would probably justifiably so, send me to hell. So as I worked for Youth for Christ, and I'd give the invitation, I would say to God, Lord, if I didn't mean it last time, this time, I really mean it. I probably accepted Jesus several thousand times. Always not getting how great His faithfulness and His pardon of sin is in coming to us. And one day I woke up and said, if God doesn't save me by grace, I don't have a chance. And that burden lifted. The performance burden was gone, replaced now with a greater desire to obey Him out of thankfulness rather than out of obligation. Wow. Nehemiah. Chapter 9. Now, Nehemiah is talking about Israel, and I don't want to usurp Israel, but you know this has been expanded beyond them to include us, because we've got the same problem that Israel had, the problem of the flesh. And so we end up not always doing what God wants. And yet God's mercy and faithfulness remains. But they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to your commandments. They refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, 
slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And you did not forsake them. Even when they made for themselves a calf of molten metal and said, this is your God who brought you from Egypt and committed great blasphemies. You, in your great compassion, did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not leave them by day to guide them on their way. The pillar of fire by night to light for them the way which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them, and manna you did not withhold from their mouth. That's part of the readings this week. You gave them water for their thirst. Indeed, forty years you provided for them in the wilderness, and they were not in want. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet swell. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Now this testimony is amazing, people. Because this is the group that was unfaithful. This is the group that violated the commandments. This is the group that couldn't get their act together. You know us. And even though they disqualified themselves from entering into the promised land, including Moses. Don't get the idea that that whole generation was lost. That tender father watched over them 40 years until they all slept in the ground and he received them to himself, probably a little disappointed in them. So they were faithful to him a couple of times, but he was faithful to them the whole time. Morning by morning, New mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Pardon for sin? Hey, that's good enough, right? No, there's more. And a peace that endureth. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The shalom of God has come to us. Now Jesus tells us about that peace in John fourteen seven. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. The world gives peace in compromise. The world gives peace when they can pretend it's a win-win situation. But God's peace is given to us in the midst of the storm, not to stop the storm, but to calm us. And so in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, we are told to cast our cares upon the Lord because then, as we think on the right things, the peace of God that passes all understanding. And you've felt that. And you've experienced that. You have known that peace that when everything should be sane, There is no peace. Somehow within you is this calm, blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. 
it's okay. What did Jesus keep saying to his disciples all the time? Do not fear. Fear just robs us of peace. And so the Lord says, do not fear. My peace I give you. And that peace is not some abstract thing. It's a whisper of God when you think you're alone that says, I'm here. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. I haven't had time to check this out fully, but Dr. John Fisher, who's a good friend of mine and a very good scholar, that name of God that we translate I am that I am really in, in some senses a statement that is connected to a fuller phrase that basically says I will go with you. The God who is is not just is existentially but he is the God who is here. Where can I go from your spirit? The tallest mountain, the deepest sea, if I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. Incredible. So the presence of God is not some abstract thing, but an actual truth. John chapter 14, at the Last Supper. Jesus said these words to his disciples. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you, and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, that means fatherless. I will come to you. The Father and the Son dwell in us by the Spirit so that God is with us at all times. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. He is our comforter. I love the word comforter. The word comforter could be it translated reinforcer. I'm getting pretty familiar with boxes. We have a lot of boxes arrive at our house. I know something about boxes. Some boxes hold stuff and some boxes spill stuff. And one of the things that you can do if you want to take a box that is old, is you can put a box in a box and kind of have a double box. And I learned the hard way that you don't put the uh, weak box inside the strong box. Because if something happens to that outside, then it all goes, right? You put the weak box inside. I take that back. You put the strong box inside. And it reinforces the weak box. That's what it means. It means to come alongside. Comforter means to come alongside. Somebody comes alongside, they hold you up. God comes alongside, but he comes along inside to reinforce us, to strengthen us in the inner man. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today. 
Isaiah chapter 41. Verse 8 to 13. Again, speaking to Israel only comes to us by extension, not by replacement. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend. Boy, how would you like to have God give you that testimony? Abraham was called the friend of God. And Paul says, we're children of Abraham by faith. You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. What are you looking all around here? I will strengthen you, surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are angered at you will be ashamed and dishonored. And those who contend with you will be as nothing and will perish. Almost hear the echoes of another song. Fear not, I am with thee, O be not afraid. For I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee to stand. Upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand. That's, hymn writers know these passages. They, they bring them together. They cue them. They, they're doing that not so we'll sing their songs. But so all of these verses will echo in our minds and in our souls. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects of Him, from whom the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and knit together by every joint supplies, according to the proper... That is not the right passage. I'm thinking, where is it? Where is he going to it? It's what? Oh, that's it. I'm in the wrong verse. Chapter. I get chapter, chapter dyslexia from time to time. It'll be in the DSM soon, I'm sure. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. There's that inside thing. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, knowing the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, That verse always amazes me. I'm pretty good at asking and thinking. And he goes beyond that. According to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Strength for today. He'll get us through today. Bright hope for tomorrow. 
Uh, here's a series of sermons, and this one I had to really edit it down. Romans chapter 8 is a chapter that, for a period of time, almost every sermon I preached ended in Romans chapter 8. And people knew that the sermon was about to be over because I had moved to Romans chapter 8. But it wasn't quite over because I had to get through Romans chapter 8. Verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. That's a difficult verse for me. I am always bothered when somebody says, Oh, it'll be better later. I'm hurting now. Okay, This stuff is awful now. And if you think I'm just going to forget it when things are going good, that's not going to cut it. I need that one who can do exceedingly, abundantly, Beyond all that we ask or think. I don't want to be ripped off in the process of, well, now it's better. Okay? For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, nobody asked for this. But because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This creation is part of the salvation process. I wasn't taught that. It was like I was, I was on layaway and out of here, and this, so who cared about this world? Who cared about this stuff? And we'd sing, this is my father's world, but, you know, I like the tune, but the theology didn't grasp me. We know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. I've begun to see earthquakes and fires and floods and stuff as the creation suffering. Awaiting the day when it won't suffer any longer. As we wait for when we won't suffer any longer. He says not only this. But we also who have the first fruits of the spirit. There's that thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves. Waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons. The redemption of our body. I always thought if I could just get rid of this body, my mind would be okay. Didn't realize how much my mind depends on this body, right? But that's not salvation. Salvation is not, I'm going to pull a little part of you out and it's going to go to heaven. Salvation is body, soul, spirit, mind, everything and the creation redeemed and restored by God. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? Don't become one of these Christians that acts like everything's already redeemed. Everything's already restored. Okay? How are you doing? Oh, I'm just blessed. Everything's wonderful. I don't see anything bad. Okay, open your eyes, dipstick. You know? There's some rough stuff. Our hope is not here in what we see. If in this life only we have hope, we're of all men most miserable. We are seeking a hope and a promise that is beyond the resurrection. But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, I don't like that word, but it's there, we wait for eagerly for it. I wait eagerly for it, not always with the perseverance I should have. Now he goes on to say that God has given us his spirit that intercedes for us and helps. And in even these terrible things,
God is working good. How can that be good? It's not good. That is bad theology. People who make everything good is bad theology. Well, if this hadn't happened, this wouldn't have happened. Don't confuse God fixing something and making something out of it with making that thing good. Ultimately, He will make all things good. And that is our hope, but it's not seen. So then, in verse 31... Paul starts winding up. So what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? You have to have the mindset that God is for you. If you have the mindset, as I always had, that God might be for you if you obey. Instead of God is for you, so why don't you obey? It's a very different mindset. And I tell people a lot of times, you've got to get up in the morning and say, what if God were for me? If God is for us, who can be against us? If He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with it give us all things? So who will bring a charge against us? God's the one who will judge. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus is the one who died, rose, and sits at the right hand of the Father and is interceding for us. Got that going for us, and that's a big deal. So who will separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? No. Distress? No. Persecution? If it comes? No. Famine? Nakedness? Peril or sword. Well, if these things are happening, God must have abandoned us. There were a lot of Jews in the Holocaust who thought that. But there were many who understood that God would get them, maybe not them individually, but them as a people, even through that. Which is why verse 36 is never quoted when people quote these passages. Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. We may have to die for him. But in all these things, we are conquerors through him who loved us. So Paul says, I'm convinced that neither death, or any way it comes, Life, angels, principalities, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, any other created thing, nothing in this creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousands. Beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Well, maybe not, maybe not. One last verse Luke chapter 12. He said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, or your body, what you'll put on. Life is more than food, body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, they have no storeroom, no, no barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour 
to his lifespan. You actually probably take it off. If then you cannot even do a very small thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They don't make clothing. But I tell you that Solomon, in all his glory, did not clothe himself like these. So if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, short-sighted ones, O little faith one? Do not seek what you will eat or what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the Gentiles of the world eagerly seek. That's what life is for most people. Your Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to charity, make yourselves money belts that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Bright hope for tomorrow. God provides for us today and a little extra. He will provide for us as he did for them through the wilderness. And But they got their eyes off the, the hope and got focused on the day. Your faith will become unstable if you focus on today and not on eternity. If you've ever been on a boat, you know that it's very easy to get seasick if you look at the things close. And they always tell you, you want to not be sick, look out at the horizon. Those things are more stable and you won't have the same sense of the roller coaster ride. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord unto me. Uh, let's pray and then we're going to sing this hymn. Father, we